Hello, and welcome to another episode of Your Therapist Needs Therapy. I'm your host, Jeremy Schumacher, licensed marriage and family therapist. And today I have a special guest talking about a topic we haven't covered on the podcast yet. So I'm very excited. Today I'm joined by Jessica Bloomkey. Jess, thanks Hi. for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so let's start with with just the introduction. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into our subject material, which is equine therapy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the reason uh, you know who I am, and <clears throat> if anybody's listening, uh, I'm a co-host of the Friendly Atheist po uh, podcast with Hemant Mehta. Um, and then in my real life, uh, part of my real life, I work for a therapeutic horseback riding center in Burr Ridge. It's called the Hanson Center. It's owned by the Ray Graham Association. Um, it's an Illinois-based uh, nonprofit. Um, and I've been involved on and off with the Hanson Center since I was a teenager, actually. Um, actually, maybe even younger. I uh, grew up near this barn where I now work um, and was a horse kid, of, as so many of us were. And this was one of the few ways I could interact with horses. But, um, but what it is, is it's a, a barn that serves primarily kids and adults with various disabilities, uh, ranging from emotional PTSD, things like that, um, up to we have kids who are um, uh, pretty, you know, very autistic, uh, pretty far along in the spectrum, maybe nonverbal, often can't um, physically walk. Um, and yeah, so I guess just to sort of dive in head first, I, I love talking about this stuff. So if I get too deep in the woods, um, um, please let me know. Also, I should say, I am not a therapeutic horseback riding instructor. I work for this barn, um, but I don't, uh, I, I volunteer with the kids. I work very, very closely with all the instructors who do, but I'm not certified. So just, you know, for, for what it's worth. Yes. Uh, so um, there's kind of two different flavors of um, horse-based therapy. Um, the first is is hippotherapy, which is something I'm learning about right now. Um, so hippotherapy, just so you know, a little Latin lesson. Um, hippopotamus is Latin for a water horse. So hippo is actually the Latin root for a horse. So when you see things like hippodrome and things like that, it's about horses, not hippopotamus. Although what a magical world that would be. Um, so hip therapy is a, uh, a, a version of therapy that really just uses, physically uses the horse's movement and dynamics, um, as they walk to do, um, physical therapy and, um, and occupational therapy. So we've got somebody leading the horse. We've got a physical, uh, physical therapist on their right, an occupational therapist on the left. So you're walking around, the two therapists are on either side of the horse, the rider's on the horse. And they're doing, uh, and in this, they're not learning to ride a horse. They're not learning that whoa means stop or squeeze your legs means go. They're just using, the, essentially they can bill it um, to insurance because they build the horses as like dynamic surfaces or something like that. And they're just using the movement of the horse to, um, to facilitate therapy. So um, when you're riding a horse, whether you're bareback, whatever saddle you have, your hips, your lower body actually move the same way they do when you're walking. Um, so what that does, especially for our riders who um, 
aren't strong enough to stand up on their own or don't have the capacity to stand on their own. What they're doing is they're building up those core muscles that help you stand up. And it has all of these really like far reaching effects. I heard one of the therapists told me a story of this kid who, you know, was eight or nine and was never potty trained. And then he starts hypotherapy and all of a sudden his pelvic floor is strengthened because when you think about just holding yourself up in a chair on a stool, that's a lot of work, let alone stabilizing while the horse is moving under you. Um, and so that's what hypotherapy is all about at our barn. It's very much like they'll come for eight, 10, 12 week sessions. It's not a consistent thing. The therapeutic writing end of it is what I'm more involved in, um, and I can dig into a little more. So the the essential part of it is that we're teaching kids and adults uh, to ride horses. Um, horses have a huge therapeutic benefit um, because they are herd animals. So the same way dogs... Um, and not so much cats, you know, want to be around you and, and kind of foster a sense of community. Horses are the same way. Um, and people, uh, I, I, I cannot explain what it is about horses that uh, just sort of triggers something in people that's really, um, if they're not afraid of horses, is uh, there's something very special about the bond between a person and a horse. Um, and to look at a kid who's maybe young or maybe has been in a wheelchair for most of their life um, or can't really stand up independently, you put them on this horse. And yeah, you can have a couple pe people physically supporting them, but that person is physically taller than everybody else. And they're controlling this giant thousand pound animal. Of course, they're getting guidance, but the, the emotional feeling of being in charge of something and bonding with an animal um, it is something that's really, uh, really special and really meaningful to people. Um, so one of the things I really enjoy talking about is kind of how horses um, uh, interact with each other and with people. Um, because horses, and I always joke, I do tours at the barn, and I always joke, this might like millennial trend talk to Gen Z, or like horses just kind of operate on vibes. They um, if you imagine, you know, they were wild animals, they're prey animals. So everything um, about how they function and how they move through the world goes back to being a prey animal. So they are constantly, constantly, constantly on the lookout for people call them goblins. Like, is there a goblin around? Um, because they're just constantly looking around. Now, if you're in a horse herd, right, and there's a hundred horses and there's a wolf on the left side of the herd, they don't have words to, you know, communicate things. And so it is just a vibe shift that goes through. It is agitation. It is like that feeling of being up and that clicks in with horses really, really quickly. So when you approach a horse and you're up and have a lot of energy or you're afraid, your horse is reading that like, oh God, what's around? Is there a gerblin? Like, is somebody going to get me? Um, and so that's why when you see people who are afraid of horses, they often have negative interactions with that horse because the horse is like, yeah, you're right. This is scary. What's going on here? Um, but, and, and especially the horses that we use for our program are the calm of them is something that's really hard to kind of uh, portray unless you're there. Um, th there is just something very peaceful 
about spending time with animals in general and these kind of big, huge animals that are, you know, dangerous, but in general, very gentle and not malicious, right? Um, there's something really, um, really magical about it to be, to be blunt. Um, and there's a ton, I mean, I have lots of opinions about lots of things, but there are many, many people who volunteer with us um, at the barn who they consider it their therapy as well because they come in, they groom horses. And, you know, if you've ever gone for a, a walk with your dog in the woods or just had a, um, a kind of moment of, of peace in a rural adjacent environment, um, I think there's something to be said about having... Um, as humans, I feel like we have jobs that sort of don't end and don't come to a satisfying conclusion. But when I have to go in and clean a stall, it's a 15-minute chore and it's, you know, I break a sweat and all that stuff. And when I'm done, that stall is clean and looks nice. And I have the job satisfaction of having done a job and can see the results right away. So sure. I think that's yeah. another part of it, of being able to end tasks, which we don't get to do ever, right? Right. Well, and, and thinking of terms of like grooming and, and taking care of that horse, like the responsibility, but also building that, that connection and that bond with it. Um, and yes, task completion that gives us dopamine. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm a city slicker. I was born in the city. I still live in the city. I have very few interactions with horses. So I'm, I'm curious. Um, I know a lot about therapy dogs. Mm. Um, one of mine was a uh, good temperament. Uh, rescue dogs are always a bit of a, a wash with what you're going to mm -hmm. get. Uh, and so he was canine good citizen certified, which is like the level under therapy dog. Uh -huh. So uh, are there are there breeds of horses that specifically work well with this? Are there types of horses that like, do the horses need to get certified and special training? Wait, like tell on. me a little hold bit. On. Are you telling me you're about to let me talk about horses for like 20 minutes and it's going to be recorded yes. and other people will listen to it? This is the dream. This that is why you are here. Yes. Teach us. Uh, we learned a little bit of Latin already. So now I'm excited yes. to learn about horses. Okay. So horses come in um, a few different uh, chunks, right? So you have ponies. Those are small horses. Um, they are small horses are full grown at that size, right? Ponies are not baby horses. Then you have your kind of standard horses and then you've got warm bloods and draft breeds. Um, and there's a lot of variations therein. So essentially, um, depending, uh, so oh, yoy, yoy, I almost got real deep in the weeds about um, breed uh, start with uh, a, standards. A city, start with a city slicker who yeah, yeah, start knows with city what slicker, so. are and that's about it. <laughs> okay, so imagine you are a farmer in uh, 9th century England and you have to plow your field or whatever. What are you looking for in an animal? You're looking for somebody big and sturdy who's not going to get injured easily. Looking for some uh, a horse that is calm enough that if they get stuck somewhere, if um, if something goes wrong, they're not going to panic immediately. You don't need them to be especially fast, right? You don't need them to be, um, you know, have any like quick reaction skills. You're looking for a really steady animal who you can put in front of a cart and they will walk up and down that field all day. So that's where draft horses in general come from. And there's a huge overlap. So like your halflingers and fjords and things like that have those same standards, but they're not the same size. So um, 
essentially people bred out horses to do very specific tasks. So you have horses that are race horses, right? That are bred to be fast and slick. And those horses are out of their goddamn minds because nobody breeds them to be sensible or calm or whatever. They breed them to be fast, sure. right? So when you work with thoroughbreds or even um, some other like high-end ch- like saddlebreds and things like that, when they're bred for a function um, that is going fast, clicking like lifting their legs all fancy having a really arch head you know tail set or head or whatever when they're um breeding to those you're going to end up with a thoroughbred which is a fucking lunatic and they will you know see a shadow i rode a horse who was a thoroughbred um boy what was his name hank was his name and we would be in the arena cantering which is like a slow gallop thing and every time we got to this one corner, when it was nighttime and the, the lights were on in the arena, his shadow would pop up on the wall. And every fucking week we turned that corner, he would spook at that at that shadow. It's the same thing. He's out over and over again. But just his breed is one that it's fine for them to be like lunatics because they are bred to be fast or high jumpers or fancy movers. Um, as opposed to the horses we are looking for, which is the opposite so um to it we have a couple draft crosses so um that means they're half draft horse which is kind of that big calm animal that's going to help us with a temperament generally the bigger the horse the mellower they are ponies are the ones you have to be careful it's not unlike dogs actually like the little yippy ones are the ones who are going to fuck you up and the big ones are like they might accidentally (laughs) knock you over but they're not doing it out of maliciousness Yes, um, I have two two Great Dane mixes, and they are gentle giants. And exactly, I have a so you under- who is a psychopath. See, you understand now. You understand ponies versus draft horses. All, yeah, like I'm, all of them. I'm on board. Um, I get it. So we, um, so in terms of temperament, uh, we tend to end up with uh, the draft crosses. We have a lot of quarter horses. So quarter horses were are a very American breed. They were the they are the cowboy horse. They're a really versatile breed. They can look like a lot of different things. But in general, with with quarter horses, the like every just like with dogs, you know, every breed has like the thing that you're like stoked about them being able to do. Um, and quarter horses are kind of like a, a, a lab. They are a very good all-around horse. They're u- they've been used. Um, they have been used all through American history. To I mean, obviously, let's you know the cowboys and the problematic you know genocide of it all. But when you imagine a cowboy in the old west, they're riding they're riding a quarter horse. They're short. They're stocky. They can move quickly, like spin around. Because if you're in a pen and you're sorting cattle and you have to get this one cat in the head. The horse has to be smart and calm and focused and quick. Um, So they tend to have pretty mellow um, um, uh, uh, attitudes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the last one, and I just learned this a couple uh, months ago, and I just find it really fascinating. We have a handful of Icelandic horses um, on our property, which are from Iceland. And we've had a few... um, and they've always been very calm and wonderful, and I just adore them. 
And I learned that the reason um, Icelandic horses are so, you guess why Icelandic horses might be calmer than another horse, than another breed of horses. So think about why are horses nervous? Predators. Because predators. So Iceland has very few natural predators. There are no natural, there's no apex predators in Iceland. So they don't, they've evolved away from having that prey instinct. I mean, they still have it, obviously, but it's not as notable because of generations of not having to, uh, you know, breed specifically to be fast and alert and scared. So um, it's really, it's all, I think, really interesting stuff. Um, So... So yeah, with and you asked kind of about certification, and that's part of what my job has been recently is been going to find horses that work for our program. And friend, it is it's really, really, really hard. Um, it is I think anybody who has done a career change or tried something new and just sort of splatted face first and it didn't work at all you know that feeling of like oh i really thought this skill would transfer to that and it's just not the same so we've definitely gone through horses who you know they come in and they aren't happy doing the program that we have they don't like the kind of work that we do whether it's too much or too little or too loud or not um interesting enough you just kind of never know um but we are always looking for horses who are smallish and strong. And so that's sure. when you get like your, your halflingers, which are a, 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 a God, are they British? Um, or like Northern European breed. They're really small and they are tough as nails. And like they can survive really cold weather. They are really, we call it sound. Like they don't get injured easily. So like thoroughbreds, they hurt themselves if they look at the ground wrong because they're very sure. dinky and they're very lanky. Whereas right. our the guys we have, their legs are stocky, their feet are big because they can hold more weight that way. And that's really important for what we do because even if we have a rider who's bigger, and obviously we have we have weight limits, um, we I guess I haven't even God, sorry, I haven't even watched through what therapeutic riding looks like. Yikes, sorry. I'm so sorry. We'll get okay. We have, we have time. Yeah. So they, uh, when you are in a lesson, you can have as many as three people around the horse. So one person leading the horse and then two people, we call them sidewalkers. Sometimes they're just spotty, but oftentimes they're physically holding the person's leg onto the saddle because if they, their top end, um, balance it, uh, you know, falls off balance, you have them, uh, kind of, um, ground into the saddle more or less. So imagine a half hour lesson walking around, you know, a ring like this with your arm up against a person's leg. If the horse is this big, you're going to wear out your, your, your volunteers. And so we're always looking for short horses and, and strong horses because we do have bigger people and especially those who, um, you know, have mobility issues. You know, it's, it's very easy to, uh, to put on weight in that way. And, and we do have, um, we have, it's called a lift. God, I don't know why it's, it's called that literally you sit in a chair and there is an apparatus that comes under your arms and under your legs and literally lifts you up, slides you over and lowers you down onto the horse. 
And the first time I watched this huge machine lower a human, it was like Peter Pan, right? Like they're just floating over, sure. just right onto the horse, and the horse just stood there. And I was, um, I was astounded. I remember that I was a teenager, and I remember watching it happen and just having a moment of like, "Dang, horses can do. We can get horses to do anything." Because if you had told me that that was possible or feasible or easy to accomplish i would have been like no that's an insane thing that's what a crazy person would do is put a machine onto a horse that's insane um but uh but yeah so uh so the therapeutic riding lessons themselves uh tend to be uh we have between one and four riders max um i think usually it's about two or three and we um most of our riders have been with us for years uh, the mm -hmm. majority of them when they come there's a very 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 long wait list for the program and so frequently once they get in they they stay in um there's not a ton of therapeutic writing programs around around where we live uh so if you're a new writer you would come in and we would do a little bit of, of an evaluation in terms of uh your your ability and your needs so when we start to think about pairing a new rider with a horse you start thinking about, I mean, obviously size. We've got one kid, Tim, who is 6'5", maybe. So he has to go on our big, tall horse. And then we have sure. little ones that if you put them on even a small pony, if that pony's too wide, their legs are like out in the splits and it's uncomfortable. So you have to be really aware of sort of um, uh, their rider and and what their needs are and, and the horse. Um, so it's a lot of work to uh, to figure out good pairings between people because horses have very strong personalities, just like you know, just like people, just like dogs. And there are riders who maybe will make a clicking sound sometimes, and that could upset them. You know, you sure. have to think about how each uh, rider is interacting with the horse. So you have to think about size and movement, and also, okay, Tim has to be on Prince because he's so tall, but Prince doesn't like being closed in on his back end. So nobody can have a sidewalker with Prince because of X. Like it's just constant, you know, this horse needs this and this rider needs that. And you just have to make it kind of all stack up and work together. Um, sure. And it's, do, it's, it's tough. <laughs> do the horses. So like with a, with a thera, uh, therapy dog, you can give it certain commands and it learns like, okay, go lay next to this other person or put your head, mm -hmm. put its head on your lap or like move away from them and lay by the door. So like uh, with the therapeutic riding horses, is that something where they have their natural instincts, but they've been trained to respond to certain stimuli or like if, if that vibe is off, is the person kind of like leading the horse to like- That's a really, uh, really interesting question um, because we generally do, don't train horses the way we train dogs in terms of like voice commands. Um, sure. Well, you know, which isn't completely, you know, we say, you know, walk on is something they know, whoa is something they know. Um, and even just kind of talking to horses, they get your tone and your vibe. And, you know, a lot of times I coach my riders to talk to their horse in the lowest voice they have and easy. It's okay. It's And like that calms them down and calms their horse down. Um, sure. But in terms of that, so it... So that's just such an interesting question. I never thought of it of anything like that because because no, it's really 
it, it's it's therapy it's less emotional therapy and more physical therapy the emotional mm -hmm. therapy i think is more of a um, happy byproduct sure. of of the of the physical benefits of it um because i so our god our horses are so good um they are really good at responding to what they think they're supposed to be doing um we have one rider who again is nonverbal. she can't really support herself um but she can pull back and she can make her horse back up so when you when you're riding a horse pulling back means stop if you keep pulling they're gonna back up she can pull that and her horse ziggy he'll as soon as he feels that he'll back up because he knows what's being what's expected of him and he can tell that all of the people around him are encouraging him to back up um but aside from that no like we we teach the kids walk on whoa things like that um more to sort of foster a cause and effect thing of when sure. you do this this happens yeah. um because we are teaching our kids to talk to horses in a language in a new language kind of right like you know we say walk on that's obviously english but squeezing your legs together isn't how a human being says go right that's not how right. we naturally want to so you're also teaching these kids if you do this your horse will do that it's a really uh, quick cause and effect of yeah you pull to the right your horse is going to go to the right um and the feeling of being able to to control a big animal like that is 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 really powerful really powerful yeah, and it's almost almost like a modeling then of if you do this, your horse is going to do this. So even though it's maybe not emotional in that sense, like to kind of a, a biofeedback loop of like, if you want your horse to calm down, you're doing this, which is, is modeling for that that child or that uh, whoever the rider is that like you controlling your emotions and your behaviors will have this effect. A hundred percent. And it makes me think this isn't something I've done a ton of research on, but Horses have been used as therapy tools in a lot of different settings, including um, in prison rehabilitation, mm -hmm. um, because the uh, the fact is with horses, you can't force them. Well, you can, but like you can't force them to do anything they don't want to do, right? Unless you're sure. going to get shit out of your horse, which I would randomly discourage. Yeah. They're gigantic animals. They're not going to do anything they don't want to do. So if you are say a guy who has been taught his whole life that anger is the only way to get what you want or aggression is the only intimidation is the way you get what you want you put that person with a horse and that shit is not going to fly because you cannot out intimidate a horse because it can kick you in your dumb head sure. and so learning this element of partnership as opposed to controlling is um is something that's really valuable and to uh, to what you said if you come in angry or hot or whatever your horse is going to read that immediately and be like oh friend not today mm -hmm. um i i have i teach riding lessons to um to independent riders and i have one student who deals with a ton of anxiety and she will come in and then come to me like near tears like my horse is acting like this and blah, blah 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 and i'm like okay well you are wound up tighter than a spring right now so maybe do you think maybe he's picking up on that 
And it is a way for her now to look externally to see what her emotions are looking like almost, right? Like if her horse is like acting weird and all of us are like, she's been fine with me. Are you coming in with like a banana's energy? Are you like, you know, are you upset about something? And he's picking up on that. Um, And you can't fake stuff like that. You know, you can't you can't fake being calm around a horse. They know the difference between like still intense and calm. Like I do just in my day to day working with horses. I do so much like meaningful exhaling because I can feel myself getting, and I'm a, I have ADHD. I am a super like hyperactive person. And so it is a thing that I work on all the time is getting my energy down and not Mm -hmm. being if I'm coming in with like an agitating energy that is going to be reflected on the animals I'm working with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating because I think uh, it, it, with PTSD, you know, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about for therapists who are trauma informed, we talk about how trauma isn't just in your brain, it's also in your body. Mm-hmm. And so when you have an environment where you're getting these, you have to use your body, you have to be in touch with your body to communicate with the horse. That's such a different way to process, but that is the way that we process something like trauma. So mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense as you're talking about it. I think too, bilateral stimulation is really good. We know for for processing trauma. So I can imagine that that um, motion of being on a horse. I've never ridden a horse. So wait, hold on. Could you say that bilateral stimulation is good for trauma? Could you dig into that? That whenever. Oh I yeah, am? for sure. Uh, uh, bilateral stimulation. So uh, when our brain has to process stimuli coming from both directions, so walking, reading, um, the natural eye movement. So EMDR is is a big trauma um, technique to work with somebody who's trauma. So it's eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So you're following lights moving across uh, kind of in front of you and, and your eyes are moving back and forth. It's bilateral stimulation. And so we know oh. now, yeah. So, like, would a movie or something like that, is that not bilateral stimulation? Because, uh, no, because it's coming in uh, from one direction. But and reading so, like, is. Because your eyes are having to move back and forth. Oh! Oh! Yeah. Bilateral stimulation. That's so really interesting. I, I don't know nothing about horses, but I know about trauma, so I'm just connecting some dots in my own head. I don't. I haven't looked into the research at all, but I'm, I, I would imagine there's some... Uh, at least um, kind of cursory benefit from that motion yeah. of being on a horse. Um, that's very, very interesting. Interesting fact about horses, they um, their brains are not bilateral. So if you're walking a horse around and he sees something in his right eye, like a, a big scary flag is all of a sudden in, in a place that it's not supposed to. And he sees it, he's like, ah! And he goes by it a couple times to, you know, circling to the left and it's fine turns the other way, he sees it again because the process sure. didn't go from his right eye to his left eye. So he's reprocessing it again. So it's just one of those things when we have something new in the arena, I have to tell my kids, go both directions. Make sure he sees it with both eyes because otherwise it's not going to not gonna yeah. cross over. Yeah. Man, I need to look more into horse therapy because now I'm like, <laughs> I wonder if this would be better for, for drama than people realize. Um, I, I, we, yeah, we have kids, we have people with PTSD and things like that. There's a, um, there's a ton of emotional benefits to, to yeah. being the horses. 
Well, it's it's just such a holistic approach because again, you're building you're building a relationship which is meaningful. You have commitment. Um, you know, you're showing up on time and you're you're meeting with this horse. You're getting to learn mm. about the horse. You're getting that in the moment biofeedback. You're getting mm. bilateral stimulation, and then you know, for the people who are are maybe more able bodied or doing more responsibility, learning how to take care of the horse and responsibility that way. So, like, I can just mm. imagine how it's such a encompassing like showing up to the barn is such a positive for people well and also you talked about the stimulation but the smells of a barn the way to light like it is very all like you said all encompassing you walk in and it smells like barn it smells like hay it smells like whatever mm-hmm. it you know and and it doesn't hurt that at our barn anyway the volunteers who are there are just lo- mostly women lovely women happy to be there, love the horses, love learning about the horses, love catching up on each other's lives. Like they build these little communities. Um, and a lot of people come in to volunteer and kind of say like, this is, this is my therapy. This is how I, I feel better about my day. I just come in and, and get some hands, hands on time with horses and I just feel better. Yeah. Um, could I, would you mind if I picked your brain for one second? I have a, a yeah, go ahead. So my my coworkers and I, all of whom are, are women, have been talking a lot about why girls tend to be attracted to horses and women tend to be attracted to horses more so than boys and men. Um, and I recently had a kind of weirdly illuminating experience online um, where, did you see the movie Nope by any chance? Yeah. Okay, yep, yep, yep. great. Um, That's going to make a lot of things easier for me. Uh, so, you yep. know, at the end, um, he has, it's a fly mask. The horse has his, that bright green fluorescent mask on his face. So that's, it's called a fly mask. It's mesh. And it's so uh, to help keep flies out of horses, eyes and ears. Um, okay. It's, uh, that's it. It's completely see-through. And people are like, it's the number one thing people ask of like, oh my God, is that horse blindfolded? Nope, see-through. So after that movie came out, I posted on this um, this movie group that I'm in. I'm like, hey, just had a curiosity. I'm sure this is everybody's first time seeing this thing. What do you think that thing, what do you think that thing is for? Like in real life. And I swear to God, Jeremy, to a man, all the dudes said, uh, is it blindfold so you can completely control the horse? So you can have the horse completely under your control? And I swear to God, it felt so fucking sinister to me. And I went back and I was talking to my my coworkers and we were talking about how much horseback riding is a partnership and that people don't seem to understand that of you're constantly learning how to communicate more effectively with your horse and learning how, like you said, biofeedback affects your horse. Like I have my kids, whenever you're sitting on something um, stable, put your hands under your tailbones, like under your butt bones, not your tailbones, but your hip bones and shift back and forth a little bit and feel how much you can feel the weight shift on your hands. And then think about how that like goes down into a horse. So even if you just shift your body a little bit like this, they can feel that. Like -hmm. if you've ever had a backpack where one strap is too short and you're just like, Oh, I hate this. They can feel all of those things. And so it's always learning how to most effectively communicate with your horse. So, so you're breaking down any communication barriers. And I will tell you, I, I have the pleasure of riding horses that you just connect with. Like, it feels like I think this thing and he does it. It's rare. 
but it's, yeah. you know, it, it's a really, and it requires, of course, a lot of training, a lot of all of that stuff and, and just serendipity. Anyway, all that's to say is I found the dude's response to that really chilling and kind of it fostered a, a conversation with my coworkers about what, why it is that girls are so crazy about horses and that sort of need for me, I guess it's two different questions, but do you have any insight? I mean, you can just, I, I'm, you can I'm, say, no, I'm, this is dumb. Jess, let's move on. No, no, it's, it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm shooting from the hip a little bit. Um, I think a couple of things, because I think a lot of it is socialization. So it, you think in terms of like, unicorns and magical experiences and being a princess and getting mm -hmm. like a castle and like mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff is geared towards females um mm -hmm. or or people who are socialized as girls and so i think there's an awareness of something like a horse growing up and then i think for dudes um or male identifying people like cowboys are really it <laughs> and like yeah. so I, I have i have a friend who who worked on a ranch and like life-changing experience like he loved it he went out to like New Mexico or somewhere like that. And he just lived in the desert for like three years working on this horse ranch. And like, so he mm -hmm. loves horses. Uh, he walks like he's saddle sore all the time. Like it's just a hilarious fit as a human being for him that like he's so into to horses. But I think again, it's it's his wallpaper growing up was a cowboy scene. And like, so I think it's that, that socialization of maybe like connecting to a horse or having a magical experience, a unicorn or like your own personal animal versus like, right, I'm gonna go, you know, kill indians and take their <laughs> lands like the, there is like a imperialistic uh a quality that's kind of gross about the cowboy mythos oh to totally and that's something i i try to be cognizant of because honestly one of this is one of the dorkier things about me i love to talk about western saddles i they're just my favorite piece of technology i find them fascinating they haven't functionally changed in like 200 years they just got it in one um sure. And so when I talk about, I love to talk about the function of the saddle, especially with quarter horses and the way those two, the breed and the saddle and the equipment and the sort of American bullshit thing all came together to, to form this cowboy culture as, as we know it, mm -hmm. I find fascinating, but I'm also keenly aware that it's like being a fan of Vikings, like, well, they were the bad guys and everything. Like you can't, yeah they're always doing bad um but uh One, and two then i think like a lot of the, the socialization is based on bad science so like um the mm -hmm. alpha the whole alpha beta really? thing like yeah, that's yeah. that's incorrect like that isn't a how wolf packs work yeah and and so like that's factually incorrect and there is there's no overlap between wolf socializing and human socializing so like even if it had been accurate which we know definitively it is not yeah. that is not how wolves socialize there is and, no correlation to um and kind of the, the way that running, humans socialize humans yeah. don't run in packs and, right that and is different you know, than a village I look at things like, you know, Jordan Peterson is is the bane of my existence in a lot of ways as a therapist because he's all the things wrong yeah. with therapy. Everybody's <laughs> and and you know, one of his things was like using lobsters. And like, so again, it's bad science. Like you're you're taking an invertebrate's brain and comparing it to a vertebrate's brain and saying there's some sort of overlap. So again, like the socialization is um, you know, uh, on the nature nurture scale, like all of mm -hmm. this this nurturing is based on bad science and then like 
to see it have bad outcomes is not super surprising. I also think, you know, as like I said, I'm a city slicker. So like, I just no, no interaction with horses. Like mm-hmm. I got where my wife and I got married, uh, her, her parents, her dad and stepmom live out in the country now in Michigan, like around nothing. And they, they have Clydesdales down the road. Um, and like, that was the first time I'd ever been like up close and in person was like before I got I married. Cause huge. yeah, I'm six foot three. I'm a big dude. And like, I was like, Oh dang, like that's a large animal. It is intimidating to walk up to one. Yeah, it really is. And especially like they're, um, probably very gentle, but yeah they step one foot wrong and your foot's gone. Like it's, well, and like, you know, you give them an apple and they just like absorb the whole thing. Oh, and it's like, oh, this, this is a large yeah, creature. If it wanted to bite my hand, it would go away. Oh, but, God. And they do. They love it. It's very annoying. Um, um, well, I'm, I really like this idea. I, I've been thinking of like girls are fantasizing. You kind of touched on about like an animal companion, a special like relationship, whereas boys maybe it was more like a tool to an end, like the way a car, the way you feel about a car of like, right. it's not about the personality. It's about, yeah, I guess it just seems like girls really want to bond with, with animals. We all want to be well, snow white. I'm a bit of a nerd. So like thinking of like the witcher, like, um, you know, sure. his, his relationship with Roach, his horse, um, mm-hmm. is a big selling point. I've not played the red dead redemption games, but I know like you have a horse throughout it. And like, yeah. so I, I think, I'm sure it's there. I think mm-hmm. just in general, I would imagine uh, boys are getting socialized from a younger, from a younger age to not be like relational and to not be in mm-hmm. touch with their emotions. Mm-hmm. So even thinking of like a companion is like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's almost like in an isolation, like me and this horse are going to go out and live in the desert and never see anyone again. It's not like, this is how I have functional relationships with everyone in my life. Oh my God. There, dude, Sidebar, there was some horse drama on TikTok. (laughs) I am not on TikTok, but this dude, some random dude from like Texas was like, I'm going to buy a horse and ride to Seattle or something like that. And bought this horse who was not in shape. The guy was not a rider. The guy had no idea what the fuck he was doing or talking about. And was like, oh, here I go. And just literally was like, cowboys do it. I can just like get on a horse and everything will be fine. And just people are panicking for, I, and I, it's been resolved by now. I'm sure I think it was a year ago, but it was just some white dude who didn't know what the fuck he was talking about and just thought you'd swing on a horse and put in a saddle and like pack a sack lunch and go. Yeah. Didn't bring a backup horse. Didn't have like a farrier check. Didn't do a vet check. Didn't do like pack enough ho- food for the horse just to see, yeah. Oh, well he'll just eat the food or eat the grass. Like, it's this treaty it's an instinct of treating anything that is not that you perceive as below you as an object yeah right like it's when they treat women so they treat horses it's how they treat cars like you'll just do the thing you're supposed to do you'll be fine yeah <laughs> well and i think i think too like the a, a general misunderstanding of domestication so like a mm-hmm. lot of people their their interactions with wildlife i'll put that in quotes are are their house cats or their dogs and like the domestication process that has happened over millennia for those animals to act the way they act versus something like a lizard like you can have a lizard as a pet but you don't bond with it the same way you can mm-hmm. but it's different and something like oh, a horse, one way where, bonding. <laughs> where like you know it's just 
yeah, I think it's a total lack of knowledge. And I think um, for, you know, growing up in a city, like just the the lack of awareness around like how you need to respect wildlife. Like we're so mm -hmm. removed from forces of nature, like, yeah. oh, a tornado came through, but like it didn't hit our house. So like back to capitalism, I'm still working. Like, you know, there is no like, yeah. or like a seasonal awareness, like, oh, it's snowing. We're not hibernating. We're like, just have to leave earlier so we can beat traffic. Like it's such a disconnect from, I think nature and some of the, the natural processes. You know what I was just thinking about yesterday. So I, uh, at the barn, I teach lessons on Fridays, but um, most days I do what we call animal care, which is basically just managing the barn. So, so yesterday my shift was 7am to 4pm and um, I had to, so we have 20, one, two, three, 23 horses and then a couple of ponies and minis, some sheep, chickens, geese, a couple other animals. Um, so I have to go in in the morning and you feed all the horses and that's, they have grass hay, they have alfalfa hay, they have grains and supplements and things like that that need to be weighed, medications that need to be administered. Um, so like we have one horse, he has to get his meds 30 minutes before he eats. So you have to like inject his little meds in his mouth. Um, but anyway, so so it's a very, it's a long day and I am busy from the moment I step foot on the barn to the moment I leave. And I love it because mm -hmm. it is all manual labor. It's just, all right, these stalls need to be cleaned. These horses need to be turned out. Those horses need to be brought in. We're doing, it's just check off the next thing in the list. And all of a sudden eight hours has gone by and I'm tired and happy and, 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 and whatever. But all that's to say is I was thinking the other day I was cleaning out, um, some paddocks and I was thinking, oh shit, the ground is going to freeze soon. We have to start thinking about this. And it just got me thinking about how we, especially city, city people, and, and certainly myself, when I'm not working on the barn, we don't change that much with the seasons. Like obviously what people watch more TV in the winter and they gain five pounds and eat soup or whatever. But realistically, the activities we do aren't necessarily weather dependent, you know, people go to the gym or, or whatever. And it's very interesting and cool to be part of a, uh, a space that has to cycle through every season's very meaningfully. So mm -hmm. this past week, I, we have, uh, I told you fly masks. This past week, I was washing all of those so they can be stored for the winter because obviously no flies in the winter. Now we're going to pull out the blankets for the winter. And there is something really satisfying about like, okay, it is November. Here are the things that have to be done every November. And I think some people might see that as um, like a trap or a sort of, you know, living the say, a Groundhog's Day thing. I find it incredibly soothing of... The same way there's something soothing about like, oh, it's strawberry season now. Like, oh, this is in, in, you know, it's pumpkin season now. There's something really nice to mark time. Especially, I can't imagine, I'm a Midwesterner. I've always lived in the Midwest or in Montana. So I've never lived in a place without seasons for more than a year. Right. Um, and I don't think I would like that or handle it well because I think it would feel like marching in a straight line forever and ever as opposed to like a cyclical thing of like now it's time to do this now it's time to plant now it you know now it's time to reap you know i'll write a beach boy right. song about it 
<laughs> Birds? Beach Boys. Who's what song is that? A time to wake up. A time. Uh, that is the birds. The birds. Okay. I think so. It's Do you not have the bully listeners? Are they going to bully me? Bully me if I get that wrong? I don't think so. No. Um, I'll be excited if if I get extra listeners, even if even if they're coming just to bully you. Uh, but no, I mean, this is a fantastic segue. Watch this. ADHD brains find each other, and then we connect really well. Uh, I do. I do think I also am a Midwesterner. I live in Milwaukee and like oh. the seasons and also have ADHD. So I think there's a neurodivergent component to liking the seasons changing. Um, but oh, I, but I think in our, our modern society, we're very disconnected from nature and we're very disconnected from our bodies. And so, mm -hmm. you know, things like yoga, things like therapeutic horse riding, things, uh, these things get us back in touch with our body that is considered healing for a lot of people, but that should be the default, like yeah. living in a concrete jungle and never thinking about what's going into your body or putting processed mm -hmm. foods. Like that's all very, very unnatural. Segwaying to one of your other uh, jobs. Like I, I think too, like some of the puritanical basis of our, our country's founding plays into that too like the religious uh the puritans you know the guy who founded the state of pennsylvania like made oatmeal be as bland as possible because he thought spicy food gave you impure thoughts like is that the kellogg the, story um kellogg's yeah. Guy, yeah so people would stop masturbating he invented cornflakes or something like that right yeah i don't <laughs> know like what was going on with his digestive system that he thought in, inappropriate thoughts but um you know, it's so so I think there's this disconnect too, and, and that segues then into yeah, you you are the co-host of the friendly atheist podcast and you get to spend all this time, a lot of time, talking about how the religious right is awful for everyone, whether you're uh -huh. religious or not. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. Um this show we've been doing now for we just celebrated five hundred episodes. We've been doing it for almost ten years. Mm -hmm. Um and <laughs> so much has changed over 10 years and now we've gotten to a point where i am completely disconnected from the news i don't i don't follow any news shit on any social media i don't have push alerts i don't seek out the news because i can't anymore and yeah. i live in a happy little bubble for six days and 12 hours and then Hemet comes over and reads all the <laughs> worst parts of the news and shatters my fragile mental health for another week yeah. But, so um, yeah. So one of my specialties is religious trauma, and and I love um I love the podcast. I was I was raised evangelical fundamentalist, um, basically in a nice little cult that exists in in Milwaukee, uh, pretty much. Um, Milwaukee cult? Ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it it checks a lot of boxes. You know, I talk about mainstream Christianity as a cult. So, um, but it's uh the podcast I love because it's a balance between Hemant, who's very uh process based and kind of goes point by point and here's the news and then you're kind of like the emotional response to all of this which is like what the, the fuck are we doing here <laughs> and as somebody who is raised in it like it's it's very um that's like very uh genuine and like oh like i wasn't allowed to feel that while i was religious and now mm -hmm. i can be also equally offended and bothered by it so i love kind of the dynamic you guys have developed in thank you so what the fuck of it all? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a strong bummer. It, it's been a weird. So I've been writing. I've been with the Friendly Atheist brand since 2012, mm -hmm. um, and I think back to 
the stuff I was writing about then, and it was obviously the election. It was the um, a woman's body has a whole way of shutting that thing down by what's his face. It was Mitt Romney, and it was the Chick Fil A thing. Those were sort of the big headline sure. stories, and truly, like hearkening back to a time when Chick Fil A being homophobic was like the peak of our problems. Is <laughs> the rose-colored glasses are intense? It's what a um, simpler time. Truly, like, I cannot even, like, even once his face saying, oh, I understand the woman's value as a whole way of shutting that down if it's a legitimate rape or whatever. Even, like, that, if somebody said that right now, it wouldn't even make a news cycle. It's just what people are kind of saying. Um, right. So, so it's, I, I think the problem I'm having right now is a, um, Okay. I've learned a lot about myself recently. And one of the things that I find <laughs> to be extremely triggering is when I watch people behave in a way that is, that I cannot understand the motivation behind. It makes no sense to me. So like I was watching, there's a show called Bad Sisters on Apple TV. Um, and it is, it doesn't matter what's about, but there is a detective or an insurance detective guy who is trying to get to the bottom of this death. But there is nothing for him to grab onto, but he keeps pursuing it even with no, for no reason. And I found it so agitating because it was just like, that's not how a person should act. That's not how a person would respond to this situation. When you're lined up with this set of facts, no person in the universe would go to the right. Everybody else would go to the left. So I have a really, really, really hard time watching people behave in a way that I find to be not only contrary to my values, but contrary to just the way the world works or the way, you know, humans are. The, I, I just find it so agitating because I can't, I, I really want to understand things. I really, really, yeah. really try to understand things. I try to put myself in like, okay, this woman genuinely believes in her heart of hearts that like every sperm and egg combination is a sweet baby with a whole ass personality and is going to cure cancer. Like, see, Jen, okay, fine. I can put myself in that position because while I do not agree with it, I understand what she is using to make this decision. Yeah. When I watch people on the Supreme Court just make bullshit up, like with the the Kennedy uh, ruling, particularly Sotomayor, like brought the receipts, and people <laughs> just ignore. It just would not acknowledge. It, it was. It was. It's like watching people in a movie. And you're like, don't, don't go behind that door. There's a murderer behind that door. Like, right. what human being would do this thing? And yet they are, they are doing them. And I find it so um, troubling and agitating. And um, because because it's unpredictable. Because that means yeah. it's completely whatever they decide is the next big bad is whatever it is. And there's nothing to be done because you cannot logic somebody out of something they didn't logic themselves into. Yeah, and it's it's so fascinating. Uh, 
I was a, a I kept moving more and more liberal and more and more progressive while I was still a Christian until I was like, wait, I'm just not a oh, Christian wow. is the thing. Um, but it's it's fascinating. I just wrote like a really long, probably the longest blog I've ever written about uh, Mike Johnson, who's the new speaker of the house, his wife and her batshit crazy therapy that she did. And oh. um, as I'm a therapist and I, I take personal offense at someone mm -hmm. claiming my profession and doing it poorly. Um, <laughs> But also, like, even for religious fundamentalists, it was, like, way the fuck out there. And so, like, it's it's fascinating. I went back and got my my uh, certification of religious trauma to, like, understand some of this stuff. Yeah. Because it's when you're in it, you don't notice, like, how crazy it is. But it's not, like, a huge jump to go from, like, oh, well, if you believe the Earth is only 6,000 years old and, like magic exists but only <laughs> for your special chosen people like it's not so crazy to use like old outdated medicine and think that's totally fine like you're living your life off of old outdated religious writings so like but but it, there is that like voice of reason and so your perspective like i was not being raised religious or not being like particularly fundamentalist is so fascinating like coming out of it's fascinating but then hearing from somebody who didn't grow up in it and like what the fuck like none of this makes any sense it's like oh right like there's no frame of reference where this makes sense it is just cult mind control behavior uh, yeah it absolutely is and i i was i say i'm culturally catholic my my family writ large was catholic but i didn't you know i wasn't i think I was, oh i was baptized because my grandmother threatened to kidnap me and my brother unless we were baptized so we're baptized nice um, the ends justify the means classic yeah exactly Oh my god. Um god. and my parents were so shocked when I told them that I was an atheist. I was like, you told me that Granny was gonna kidnap me and you told me CCD sucks. Like, what did you think was gonna happen? Yeah. Um, um but uh, anyway, so I know white Catholic shit. Also right. also I am in a lot of ways woefully naive about how a lot of mainstream Christianity functions because i grew up in a very catholic area so to me catholic like catholic and christian were interchangeable i did not understand that there was a distinction between them until i was in college because it just didn't come up i went to whatever church i was supposed to go to for that wedding or that funeral and i didn't discriminate against them and they were mostly catholic and they all had the guy in the dress and you know it was echoey and intimidating and scary and i didn't like it but i but so, like, I am coming into a lot of this stuff completely fresh because I don't, I'm not carrying around the burden of having to unlearn religious shit. I have to unlearn a lot of, like, misogyny, and I have to unlearn a lot of, like, right. racism, and I have to unlearn a lot. But I am not having to step out from the, the veil of, of religion, and I can more or less make you know, have an understanding of like the morality of something as, you know, dis disengaged from what the Bible would say is moral, right? So, right. yeah. So like, to me, I never had a, you know, those like weird gut responses that you have, even when you don't actually agree with it anymore or whatever, you just have that like, uh, and I don't have to have that of, oh, this person and this person are moving in together. Oh, oh no, it's fine. Like, those right. are things I did not have to overcome. Yeah. So, and also it lets me be a lot meaner about religion because I don't have anybody I'm worried is going to, like, yell at me at Christmas. 
Yeah, which is helpful. I think too, mm -hmm. I mean, it it highlights how the religious right affects everybody. Like this, mm -hmm. these are not religious issues anymore. They are, this person is taking their magic book of spells and trying to pass laws based on it. And mm -hmm. that affects you who was raised culturally Catholic, but is an atheist now. Like mm -hmm. it's not harmless. It's not just doctrinal for like biblical scholars to debate. It is like problematic for society at large. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this being a podcast about mental health. <laughs> um, let's let's talk a little bit. Obviously, going to the barn is good for you. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've made enough cultural references, I think, for people to know that there's a recreational component to consuming media. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, the dorkiest thing I have ever heard a person say there's a recreational component of consuming <laughs> media. Are you out of your mind? I thought that was a nice way to say you watch a lot of shows and movies. I just have never heard somebody <laughs> medicinalize that so hard. It's good because uh, I talk about this a lot in therapy. Like mindlessly watching TV gives you minimal benefit. If you're intentional mm -hmm. with saying Survivor is on on Mondays and that's our show, we're going to make time, we're going to make a pizza, mm -hmm. we're going to do a whole thing. Mm -hmm. If we had some intention to it, you can actually get a, a bigger mental health benefit from it. Um, but you also talked about like taking uh, a break from news and some of that stuff. So like kind of how do you navigate all this secondary trauma you're taking in from the podcast that you're a co-host of and, and what do you do to kind of like mellow out and balance that throughout the week? God, I mean, I, and we've spoken a little bit. I truly the month of October was among the worst months of my entire life. Um, right. So I've been doing a lot. So um, my therapist and I, adore my therapist her name is sarah hi sarah um i love you msu i can't wait till my insurance allows me to see you again um i was talking to her years ago um because i started seeing her because i was depressed and i hated my job and felt trapped mm -hmm. um and the two the, I, I will say my therapist saved my relationship with my parents i don't think i would have a relationship with them not that I wouldn't have one. I certainly wouldn't have the one I do now um, without her. Um, but one of the things she taught me that I rely on almost every day is using what I want to watch or read or eat or consume um, as a gauge of like how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So if I find myself retreating into rewatching community for the fourth time this month well it's november now so zero times this month four times last month and if i finish that and the prospect of trying to figure out something else to watch or do is so overwhelming i just start it again because any decision that i make feels terrible um sure. so re you know rewatching stuff i'm rereading like some romance novels that i love because for me, reading is one of the few with, you know, my ADHD reading is one of the few times I'm like actually fully focused because right. it, it really is maybe the only time. And I think that's why I like to do it so much is it's really hard for me to shut off my brain. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of I'm watching TV and all of a sudden, oh, my God, I haven't been listening for the last 30 seconds or whatever. Um, so so reading familiar stuff is really, really helpful for me. And And then on the other side of it 
when I'm starting to like seek out something new, it's sort of a signal to myself like, okay, all right, I'm sort of coming around. I'm, I'm getting out of this funk and this malaise and, and, and moving forward. Um, so that, that's always, that's a really nice, nice thing to do. Um, I don't know. I've been working on turning off my brain a lot because I, it runs just constantly, just constantly, constantly. And so oftentimes I will like play a video, like a little iPad video game and have like community on or something at the same time, just so I can like, it's almost like a sound bath (laughs) of like, my brain is occupied. It's processing things. So I don't have time to do some bullshit in the background and I can just, just rest. Um, but I try to be very aware of what is bringing me happiness and what isn't and things like that. And, and kind mm-hmm. of being, I just let myself be indulgent when I need it. Sure. Um, but yeah, so those are my, my main things. I, the thing is I used to play music and I used to cross stitch and I used to do all these things and I just one by one put them down because everything felt hard and yeah. everything I had to work at felt like overwhelming. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. a lot of a lot of good stuff in there. I think obviously having a therapist who you like and is a good fit mm-hmm. is a huge win. And I always tell people, like, if you don't like your therapist, get a get a new one. Although I will say as a couples therapist, a lot of my clients get mad at me for various things and they should not fire me. Um <laughs> But also, like, uh, when you're neurodivergent, being aware of what you're putting into your body, like your mm-hmm. your diet, um, your nutritional intake, and your oh, my chihuahuas. Look at this. Rapscallion trying to get on camera here. Um, yeah. He's being needy. Um, this oh, is this is Baskerville. You. You're going to get cut Baskerville, from the podcast. Baskerville, are you a hound? Yeah, he's a little hellhound. That's that's his name. Did All right, go on. Baskerville, what was the ending of that? Didn't they not exist or something? They're like a whole. Uh, it was a. It was like a large dog that was being. That's right. Like phosphorescent stuff on its eyes and just general animal animal abuse. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not abused. He's wildly spoiled. No, he's I, well. I can hear my dog thumping up the stairs, so she might make an appearance in a sec. <laughs> um. So what you put in your body is is obviously very important, and then just paying attention, like when those things That's stop right. working or. Um, you know, your ADHD brain decides like it's done with a hobby. Like yeah. it's hard to get that back sometimes and just being like, all right, well, what am I doing instead? Because my brain wants something new and novel. So is that a virtue of, of ADHD of that sort of like deeply intense and then all of a sudden like, I'm never going to do this thing again. Yep. Yeah. That happens with hobbies. That happens with food. I don't know if you have that with food. So a lot of oh, my sensory issues. hundred percent with food. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, and I have a five-year-old who almost assuredly also has ADHD. I think he's had uh, honey bunches of oats, oats cereal for like ninety-five percent of his meals the past three months. So, uh, I so feel that in such a real way. It's so strange, and it's really yeah. hard to explain to your partner why it's like, oh, I'm actually done with this thing now that I did eat every day for the last year, but I'm never going to touch it again. Bye. <laughs> yeah, my wife will be like, hey, we still have that huge thing from Costco that you were super into, and I'm like. Ooh, yeah, it's gonna sit in our freezer for two more years until I throw it out. Like, <laughs> no, don't like food waste, but also a neurodivergent. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of um, fascinating things around just that topic. I obviously nerd out about the neurodivergence, mm-hmm. um, and I'm fascinated. I, I love animals and dogs specifically, so I love um, animal assisted therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but like the horse stuff's new for me. So this is this has been a learning experience for me. And and there's so much like that my brain fired on is like, oh, I'm I wonder what the science behind that is. I wonder who's researching that. Truly, if you're in the Chicagoland area, you're more than welcome to come visit. Where it's like 294 and I-55. It's sure. it's open like anybody who's listening or who's in the area, the the property is open to the public. We've got got baby goats we've got oh we just got a baby horse oh it's the fucking best um but yeah people bring their kids and and you know look at the sheep and watch yeah. the ponies bully each other uh we have mini donks mini donkeys they're the best um but i, I did see a, a miniature horse a therapeutic miniature horse recently at a i went to a eating disorder event and they had a, a miniature therapy horse on on site <laughs> I talked to you a little bit about horses and eating disorders, just like a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, so thankfully I've never, never struggled with an eating disorder. I have had struggled with weight on and off. So feeding, so I am in charge every day of feeding, some days of feeding a lot of horses. And we have, like I said, we have a big guy named Prince. He's half Bertrand. He's a big gentleman. His hooves are like this. And then we have like little tiny like ponies that are as big as you know like a Irish wolfhound or big as like one of your, your one of your great Danes. And literally I'm thinking of two horses who are diametrically opposed and they eat the same amount of food. Mm-hmm. And he probably outweighs her by 800 pounds. Sure. And there is something very interesting and um rewarding isn't the right word i can't uh satisfying maybe of realizing that horses bodies and by extension our bodies are animals bodies they do it is not calories in versus calories out it is just not that simple because when you're looking at a pony who barely works and she's getting the same amount of food as a giant horse who works all the time and neither of them are over underweight they're both healthy and happy uh, it, it to me, it is a reminder that things are not that simple. That our bodies are so much more complicated than anybody can understand. Because right. if you know, like, it, it just seeing the changes a horse can make over a week if they've gotten one extra flake of hay than they're supposed to, or one le- you can see the changes in their bodies, and you you. When you start thinking about food as something that's nurturing and an additive and not something that you have to be restrictive of, to me, it's kind of really focused my, helped me focus my attention to how people eat and and all that stuff in a way I had not ever really thought about. And I read something similar about uh, Blair Braverman is a woman who does dog sledding. And she did a a whole list kind of about the same thing of like, these dogs are all from the same litter. They all do the same thing every single day. This dog needs six times more food than this dog. That's just bodies. That's just how they do. Yeah. Well, and I I love, uh, I used to work in higher ed. And so I would, I would write letters for people to have their emotional support animal on campus Mm -hmm. because it's a a animal free campus, but like somebody being in charge of feeding their bunny, like the way that you relate to your dependent, eating versus mm-hmm. the way that you process your own thought process around your body and your intake mm-hmm. is different. And so like having that different frame of reference is um, validating, like mm-hmm. that experience kind of loosens up the way that your brain processes it, which can be really helpful. It's, 
that's so good because I'm just thinking of like, oh, so and so acts like this when she's hungry, and like human beings are just like that. Like, right. why is this horse doing this? Well, it's cold. That horse hates the cold weather. Like, we're so. And I personally, I can extend more grace to a horse who is just reacting to its stimuli the way any of us are. I can extend grace to that horse, but not to like myself when it's cold and I'm cranky and I'm like, get it together, Jess. Like, right? You know, it's it, it gives gives you a little more, a little more space that let, or on the last thing, I assume you have to go. Um, but uh, I'm good. I, I record on days when I have time. Oh, perfect. Heaven is coming over in like 20 minutes. So when he gets here, I'll stop. Um, I, especially when I ride my, when I have my riders ride bareback, which is a whole different sensory experience than riding with the saddle. It is, you can feel their muscles move under you, like in a way that is unlike anything most people really experience. But one thing I have my kids do, especially if they're up or feeling tense, I get them on their horse and I have them go stand somewhere and close their eyes. And they can open their eyes when they can feel their horse breathing under them. Mm-hmm. Because you can feel it fairly easily, but you have to be really quiet and really sure. calm. And so when they're seeking that out, they naturally are just quieting their body. And then they physically are sort of in a better place to like proceed with the lesson. And they're, and that you're searching for that stimuli. We're not naturally searching for stimuli under our thighs or our butt, right? Like, right. But, you know, when you're riding a horse, you have to be physically engaged with everything and you're, balance has to be your own you can't be too dependent on your horse because if that horse trips and you're leaning forward you're going off um it is it's like almost couple skating of you have a really important bond and are reliant on each other but you each have your own roles and both of you have to perform those roles well yeah. and yeah and horses another thing about horses is that they uh instinctively look for a leader um, and that's basically why humans can quote unquote control horses is because as you, as we kind of talked about earlier, the size of the animal. And when we talk about quote unquote alpha males, jerk off motion, <laughs> they act like the biggest, toughest wolf or whatever nightmare they have is the one in charge. When anybody who's worked with any kind of herd animal knows that that is not how it works we have a tiny tiny pony blossom and she'll kick all y'all's ass like she doesn't give a shit so our big horse well he's a bully actually that wasn't a good example but like our biggest horses are not the ones who are in charge it's the ones who have the the leadership drive of whatever right. you know want to be a head mare and it's usually the mares who are in charge a mare is a female horse and so when you're interacting with horses you are going with an energy like, hey, I'm in charge. And you, we are just fooling them into thinking that we're bigger than them. That's all it is. We are fooling them into thinking that we can kick their ass. And we super can't. And God help us if they test us ever. Um, but but it's that's another thing I wonder, going back to like why girls are interested in horses. You are controlling a very large animal. But you're not doing it by muscling it around. Mm-hmm. You're doing it by connecting with with it and 
forming a partnership, deciding together you're going to move forward. Because, right. you know, if I'm walking a horse and I say walk on and he doesn't move, it's because he doesn't take me seriously as a leader. He doesn't think I'm going to protect him when it, when push comes to shove. So you have to assert yourself as a leader. It's a very fake until you make it kind of thing of like you have to walk up to a horse with confidence. And sure. and, and the... Uh, there's a woman who's working with a, a horse who's he's off, the horse is off the chart smart and she's kind of timid and she's had trouble with him like trying to jerk her around and do this that or the other and i said i was walking behind her and i said relax your arm that you're holding the lead rope on shoulders back and walk like you're the boss of this place and they will respect it and you i, I was genuinely just yesterday saying this horse walter he drags everybody into the grass so he can eat he's hungry he wants to go eat and he's gigantic he's never once tried that with me ever none of the horses do because i have asserted myself as quote unquote the alpha and so they just sure. don't fuck with me they know that they can't get away with whatever bullshit they want to get away it's like a babysitter versus your mom right like oh, i can do whatever the fuck oh mom's home she's not gonna let me do anything cool and they just don't test me and right. It's um, until you take a step back and kind of realize when I walk around the barn, the horses are constantly calling to me because when they see me, they're like, that bitch has food and I want her here. And so all of a sudden I am like a focus point for the horses because they recognize me as the provider of food and sure. are even less likely to fuck with me because I am that person to them now. And it's, it's like weird politics it, it on like the lowest scale you know what i mean of this horse can't go near that horse because they have this whole little subculture that they're working out Whew, sorry i just love yeah. talking about horses <laughs> no i love it and you know you you mentioned this earlier that like there aren't a lot of these uh therapeutic riding programs in the country like mm -hmm. there's a barn in the area that i think does some some very little um, therapy stuff on the side, but that's not really what it's for. So I was excited to connect with you um, because it is a rare thing. Like I'm in Milwaukee yeah. and and your location in Illinois is the closest one. Like, so talking about crossing state lines and needing to have yeah. some of that, that stuff. And I'm sure all the work that goes into funding it and like getting grants and all that stuff, I'm sure is a, a whole separate and much less exciting topic. Well, that would be an off mic conversation <laughs> because yeah, funding is... You know, I make minimum wage doing what I do. Like, right. I have to have another job in addition to the podcast so I can afford the expensive habit of working at a therapeutic barn. Like, right. There's yeah. a lot of sacrifices that have to be made to to do this, and I yeah, I love it, but I wish I could make enough money to live doing the job that yeah. I'm doing. But you know, that's socialism yes. or whatever. Yeah, well, I'm married to an early childhood educator, so I get that. We oh, do not. So you know. oh, okay, so you we know. Do, we, we do not, uh, as a society, take care of people who are taking care of other people. I truly, I don't know if it's the older I get or or watching the world unfold, but I am getting angrier and angry about angrier about how we what work we value in this country, because yeah. do you think? you bring more good to the world or a fucking hedge fund investor does like right you think i am more vital to somebody's like society or like the cfo of whatever like right 
whatever. It's just, it's yeah. frustrating because we, the work we do is hard and emotionally taxing and valuable with a capital V. Right. And nobody gives a shit. Yeah. That's why I have a podcast called Your Therapist Needs Therapy. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I, that's a, that's a separate topic. Hopefully it is getting better because I do think the religious right is shrinking. It's just getting more extreme while that happens as everybody is leaving church. But yeah, there might need to be like a revolution or something that happens because COVID showed us we need garbage men. We need nurses. We need teachers. We don't need any of this but, other but bullshit. People have been learning that lesson and ignoring it for right. 50 years, right? What was the sanitation strike in New York? What was that in the seventies? Yeah. Like yep. the city are, shut the fuck down. We are seeing workers uh, strike more often. You know, there's a healthcare strike that was going on in California that got sorted after like two days, which is uh, like they got everything they wanted. The, the yeah. auto unions got uh, new contracts. So yeah, audit the writers. I try and be optimistic. I do like you have to take breaks. The Supreme Court is especially bothersome for me. Um, so, you know, I have to take my breaks and step away from it and, and doing religious trauma that I'm working with people who not only understand the concept, but have been uh, victims of abuse in, in these various ways. So, yeah. I, I should well, probably good, I, guess. I should probably find a horse that I can that I can bond with and learn how to groom and all that stuff. Where in Milwaukee are you? Uh, I am on the very north side of Milwaukee. Um, so uh, um, I know there's a barn up in uh, Mequon, which is uh, very in conversation for people who are familiar with <laughs> we actually, urban we, Midwest. <laughs> we didn't get to talk much about it, but I'm in the Wisconsin area a ton uh, looking at horses because that's you're kind of in oh, not sure. therapeutic horse country, but horse country in general. Like Dodgeville is a huge horse hub and uh like near madison anyway it doesn't matter not important sure. but truly if you are down in chicago land we're right off 294 it's yeah. very easy to get to and you've got my contact information you should come down and, yes, and see what it's all for about sure. same i mean if you're driving through milwaukee let's grab a drink or a coffee yeah. or we can talk I'm about dogs meet, oh. you can, oh, you can meet the creatures can you, see, can you see daddy oh there she is i did i saw i saw a fluffy white tail go daddy. by earlier She's such She's a good Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Okay. Um, anyway. Jessica, this has been fantastic. This, I have a lot of guests who have ADHD. I think I say neurodivergent brains find each other. So I think that keeps happening. Um, if people want to find out more about the Hanson Center, people want to find out more about the work you do, people want to find you with the Friendly Atheist, where do they go? What What are we promoting? And it's such a hard question to answer because it used to be Twitter, but I... Yeah, it's just a cesspool, you know. There. Um, listen, if you are interested in learning about um, therapeutic writing, uh, join the Friendly Atheist group on Facebook, or honestly, the Hanson Center has a Facebook group if you want to learn about it. Um, if you even, here's what I will say this is what I want to promote. Even if you have no experience with horses and don't know the back from the front, you, your skills and uh, your humanity are needed in these therapeutic riding centers. It is as beneficial to the volunteers as it is to our riders. If you, we have one volunteer who comes in once a week, sweeps the aisle and leaves. That's it. And we adore her because that aisle needs swept every single day. So mm -hmm. if you want to get involved, if you're looking for a hobby, if you want to be outside a little bit more, want to touch grass as it were, 
look into volunteering with a with your local therapeutic writing center or something or something similar. It's um, it's really gratifying. You learn a ton. Horse people are out of their entire mind, so you know buyer beware. But a wonderful community and and accepting and kind and gentle and and a nice place to spend a day. Yeah, for sure. And we will have links to those Facebook groups and we'll have links to the podcast down in the show notes. Uh, Jess, this has been fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jeremy. Sorry, I canceled so many times. <laughs> That's good. Um, I we, we joked, we've rescheduled a couple of times and I said like, what sort of podcast host would I be about mental health if I didn't <laughs> say, hey, like take care of your mental health first. We'll record. It's a podcast. Who cares? Yes. So, yes. Uh, and thank you to all the wonderful listeners. You can find all my stuff at wellnesswithjared.com and we'll be back next week with another new episode. Take care, everyone.